you call yourself an accidental activist. And while it's true that you did not set out to take on our giant, there's nothing accidental about your courage and drive to be a voice for the disappeared. In the face of a horrible crime, your resolve has been an inspiration. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. So it was in February 2017 that one ordinary day when I was babysitting for my friend, suddenly my husband was taken from the streets and uh, he has not been heard from since. This week, a life turned upside down in a matter of seconds, bravely taking private matters into the public eye and finding a voice for the disappeared. Join us on a journey from Malaysia to the United States and becoming an accidental international woman of courage. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. My name is Susanna Cole, and I am the wife of uh, Pastor Raymond Cole, who was adopted in February 2017. And uh, I come from Malaysia. I'm here to receive the award for uh, the International Women of Courage. I grew up with uh, my grandmother in Pataling Jaya, which is a suburban area near to Kuala Lumpur, the capital of Malaysia. And uh, my parents were busy at work, and we kind of uh, look after ourselves. I attended primary and secondary school there. After school, I had a short sting with a newspaper company. Then I joined a Christian organization as a volunteer. It was on a ship that goes around the world, and they sell books and give training to Christian leaders. And I think in the two years there as well as in the India. It kind of impacted my life. We had to work hard on the ship and we had to mix and adjust with people from many different nationalities. I think it was there that I learned to be selfless, to be thinking of others.
after uh, two years, I went home and I took a course in pre-school education, majoring in Montessori. Also, at this time, I met my husband and we were both passionate about um, just work and I was running and operating a kindergarten as a business. I really enjoyed working with children, um, seeing them grow as a person and also in their studies. After about 13 years, my husband retired from uh, his pastoral work and we founded a non-profit company working with the poor, the needy and marginalized, particularly those infected and affected with HIV AIDS. And it was uh, this time that um, we learned more about uh, people who were needy and how to help them. My own passion uh, was with the single mothers who had lost their husbands through divorce or through death. Even as we taught the children literacy, we also tried to help the mothers because it's interrelated. If, if the mothers were not well, the children too uh, would not do well. But we saw the way that the children improved in their studies as we helped the mothers. We used to give them uh, groceries every month because some children were not able to even uh, have their breakfast in the morning. And then we, we begin to make friends with them and get to know them. During this time, because we work with everyone, irregardless of their race or religion, However, there were uh, some Muslims coming to our reading center. So my husband was uh, accused of proselyting to Muslims. And so we received uh, death threats to, to um, stop us from doing our work. was in February 2017 that one ordinary day when I was babysitting for my friend, suddenly my husband was taken from the streets and uh, he has not been heard from since.
children and I, we went about looking for CCTV footage and we managed to find it. And it was really shocking uh, to see a very professionally executed operation involving just 40 seconds only. The next day, I was asked whether I want to take an interview. I was thinking to myself that, well, they have done this in secret, therefore I'm going to make it public. And so I took the interview, and uh, from that day on, it's snowballed into where citizens of Malaysia came in solidarity to stand with the family and to make a statement that this extra-legal, extra-judicial operation should not happen to anyone, and Malaysia is governed by rule of law, and if he has done anything wrong, then the authorities should bring him to court. He should have the right to counsel. And from that day on, it was no turning back. So in a way, you, you, you choose it, but in another sense, you also have no choice. If you don't take a stand, if you don't speak out, there's no one to speak out for you. The head of the family is gone. Who is going to take charge? Like, who is going to lead? And I felt that my children were not able to lead, that I have to fill those shoes. And so I did. You can say I am an accidental activist. I never actually thought I would be speaking in front of TV, radio, or press. But I was thrust in the situation and somehow found the strength to stand up to what I feel is against the basic human right to life, to movement, freedom of speech, freedom to, to believe and to practice your faith.
morally I know like what is right and what is wrong. We play a game in Malaysia when we were young. It's called the eagle and the mother hen. And the, the mother hen will have uh, some kids with her. Uh, there will be a, a wolf trying to catch her children and she will spread her hands, her wings to kind of protect them, to keep them from being taken or eaten by the wolf. And I think that is partly how I feel that I'm trying to protect my children from harm and and therefore it's like my instinct to to protect them even though it might seem dangerous even though uh, I'm like facing the giant and it's intimidating I'm facing a a system and obstacles and challenges in my pursuit of justice but I want to know the truth and therefore I don't give up. You, you have to know your rights and you have to stand up for your rights. I was being questioned many times by the police and special branch. And there was one time I was questioned for five hours. Even though it was, yeah, very stressful and intimidating, I kind of stood up and told the police officer that I'm not going to answer any more questions. I have my rights. I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to find my husband. And I told him, the important thing for you to do is to find my husband, not to question me because I'm the victim. They seem to took a step back and they realized that she know her rights. There was a, li a little fear. There was a little fear, but it didn't paralyze me. I just expressed it confidently. Since this case happened, I feel like I need to know more and to go and support the civil rights activists, especially when they have been called for questioning. I always try to be there to show my support to them, to, to let them know that I'm there for them. I give them moral support and they really appreciate it when we turn up outside the police station. I feel like anyone can be 
speaking out for people's rights uh, because uh, if they don't speak out, if they are silent, who knows? The authorities may think this is normal. They can continue with what they are doing and, and, and what they're doing is not right. So people should not be afraid uh, but to speak up. Recently, we took a civil suit against the government and the police as I felt that was my last option because they were very quiet about it. And there's, after three years, there was no updates. There were no uh, new development. And where do I go from here? And that's why I'm really very, very grateful and happy to be here in the United States to have this opportunity to share my story. Hopefully, this will make the government of Malaysia and the authorities sit up and be accountable and that they would uh, be serious about the investigations and bring the perpetrators to justice. And this is my hope and my, my personal appeal that not only Raymond, but the three other people who have been disappeared, Amri Chetmat, Joshua and Ruth, that they too uh, will be released in the near future. I think this desire to help others is because of what I've been through. I know that it's painful to lose someone uh, so suddenly. I don't want other people to have to go through with it. And therefore, I speak out for those that do not have the platform and do not have the voice. And by speaking, about it, I find that I'm slowly being healed because it takes the attention off myself. When I am busy looking to the needs of others, when I help others, I find that it, it just helps them and it also helps me. Tell him that things are all right, uh, not to worry. The children are okay, even though they were affected in the beginning. They uh, went through 
a bit of depression and uh, we had some counseling and that really helped. It's okay to to say you're not all right because it's a difficult situation. And um, we miss him. And we hope he will come back to us soon to be reunited with us. And we are doing all we can to get him released. Because I believe that he's alive. We had dreams that he's okay. And one day, our hope of being reunited with him will will come true. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name is Christopher Worst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty two thirty three is named for Title twenty two, Chapter thirty three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government funded international exchange programs. This week, Susanna Lu Ko shared her emotional story fighting for human rights and abducted citizens in Malaysia. Prior to our interview, Susanna received a prestigious International Women of Courage Award presented by the First Lady and Secretary of State before embarking on a special International Visitor Leadership Program, or IVLP, in Minneapolis. For more about IVLP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233 and leave us a nice review while you're at it. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And now you can follow us on Instagram at 2233stories. Special thanks to Susanna for her selfless courage and inspiration. I did the interview and edited this episode. Featured music at the top of this episode was Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music was Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time. Never in my wild imagination uh, would I have known that this could happen one day. And when they told me about the nomination... I, I just couldn't believe it. And, and, and sitting there just now with uh, Mike Pompeo and Melina Trump, I was asking myself, am I dreaming? Should I pinch myself? You know, is this real? <laughs>